I love animals, that is true, and they deserve a life as good as you. Treat them kind and treat them great, and please don't put them on my dinner plate. I love animals, that is true, and they Hello, and welcome to episode 6 of A Voice for Animals. I am your host, Michael, and today I want to talk about the animals on your plate. First, though, I have a few news articles I'd like to share from the June 2011 copy of Veg News magazine. The first is about a camera campaign in the UK. In response to the UK-based animal rights group Animal Aid's undercover investigation of six British slaughterhouses, which revealed rampant cruelty, Five UK grocery store chains have volunteered to install closed-circuit television cameras in the slaughterhouses that supply their meat. Though the footage obtained by Animal Aid didn't lead to criminal charges, one slaughterhouse has been permanently closed following the release of the footage due to the abuses recorded. I love the fact that there are undercover investigations going on that expose the truth behind the slaughterhouses. It's these types of videos that started me off on the path to veganism over two years ago. I hope that with these undercover videos, the message is sent to all in the UK and whoever else watches these videos, that all cruelty and suffering of this kind can be easily eliminated by not closed-circuit televisions being stalled, but by being vegan. For the most part, if the employees know the cameras are there, they'll be less likely to abuse the animals. But still, in this type of environment, the animals are being abused without the extracurricular activities that the workers pull. The next article is called, Eat Your Veggies. New school lunch standards will double the amount of fruits and vegetables that more than 32 million school children eat. In the first overhaul of public school lunches in more than 15 years, new guidelines will impose calorie counts, reduce sodium levels, and increase the amount of whole grains served. In addition, starchy vegetables will be limited to one serving a week, so schools will no longer be able to serve french fries daily. The average child receives more than half of his or her calories at school, and according to the USDA, about a third of children from 6 to 19 years of age are overweight or obese. I remember back when I was in school, I usually ate a cheeseburger, french fries, and chocolate chip cookies basically every day at school. Never did I think to even look at a piece of fruit. If kids are exposed to eating more fruits and vegetables, they'll be much healthier. They'll have more energy to tackle the rest of the day. And I really do believe that these eating habits start at home. So the parents need to start serving more fruits and vegetables to the kids and, and getting them used to it. The last article I want to share is from the April 2011 edition of Natural Awakenings magazine. And it's entitled... Intergenerate launches egg co-op at John Jay Homestead. Intergenerate and friends of John Jay Homestead have teamed up to bring agriculture back to the homestead by launching the Heritage Egg Co-op project with the help of local philanthropist Bonnie Trotta and several golden egg donors. This month, 60 chicks will move into a coop that was innovatively designed by Peter Zander of Front Yard Coop. The revolutionary structure is the first prototype of a commercial-sized, yet lightweight, mobile coop. 
The birds will roam historic pastures all day, eating bugs and fertilizing soil within the safety of a portable solar-charged electric fence. Experienced farmers will help co-op members to raise the chickens and share the harvest. Members will also attend a Chicken Keeping Basics workshop and take part in weekly care and harvest duties. Intergenerate is committed to promoting healthy farm practices and breed diversity, which is why they're raising the silver-laced Wyandotte heritage breed. The John Jay Homestead in Katona, New York is an ideal site of the Heritage Egg Co-op. Nowhere in the article did it tell me the information that I really wanted to know about this new program, so I emailed them. Here's what I wrote. Hi, I came across an article in the April issue of Natural Awakenings magazine. I have a few questions I hope you can answer for me in regards to your egg co-op. Where do the chickens come from? Where will you house the chickens during the winter months? Will you keep the chickens for their entire lives or will they be replaced with new ones when their productivity drops? If they're going to be replaced, where do you send the spent hens? Does your co-op program give information to its members on the full story of egg-laying hens and their natural life cycle and that of today's factory farms and quote-unquote humane and cage-free methods? I patiently wait your reply. Thank you so much. This is the response I received from the email that I sent. Thanks for showing interest in our new Heritage Chicken and Egg Co-op. Our chickens are in state-of-the-art coops with ample space outside to roam while still being protected from predators. We are a very small, volunteer organization, but are committed to teaching humane practices for small backyard farmers. All of our work, both with livestock and within our three vegetable gardens, is designed to support an awareness of our food supply system and to offer alternatives to agribusiness. In peace, Reverend Peggy Clark co-founder, intergenerate, Green Faith Fellow. Now, as you can see uh, by that response, Reverend Clark didn't really answer my questions, so I, I emailed her again. Hi, Reverend Clark. I appreciate you getting back to me on the email that I sent regarding the egg co-op. I have a feeling that you didn't get my actual email because none of my questions were answered. I commend you for having what I've heard are beautiful vegetable gardens, but why keep chickens for their eggs? I'm sure you know that the truly humane alternative to agribusiness is not to use animals at all, especially since eggs contain cholesterol and saturated fat. Anyway, I look forward to your correspondence. Then in my next return email, Reverend Clark wrote, I'm wondering if you can help me understand why you want this information. So I followed up with, I'm a vegan. I don't believe in exploiting animals for any reason, especially for money. I believe in following ahimsa. As a reverend, I assume you know how precious all life is and how no harm or violence should come to those in our care. I know that most of the egg-laying hens in backyard farming come from the same hatcheries that supply the agribusiness factory farms which kill the day-old male chicks because they are male and have no worth in the egg industry. It just troubles me a little to believe that you are either unaware of this fact or you choose to ignore it. Either way, I was simply trying to get information to see exactly what you knew about the industry that you are now involved in. I appreciate your time in regards to this matter. The return email I received from uh, Reverend Clark was, While I don't think veganism is the most ethical path, I believe that you are following it with the very best intentions and I respect that fully. We did not purchase chicks, but eggs, 
and some of the roosters are living on another farm. We are not going to purchase any additional animals, but allow nature to take its course. We are aware of the abuses and have done our best to avoid them as we continue to create and support healthy natural systems. Then my last email back to Reverend Clark was, Thank you very much for your information. I truly appreciate it. I'm always trying to find ways to live a more peaceful, nonviolent life as possible. In your opinion, if vegan isn't the most ethical path, what is? Again, I thank you for your time. Sincerely, Michael. This last email I sent uh, to Reverend Clark was on May 20th. And unfortunately, I have not received any response to find out what Reverend Clark's opinion was for the most ethical path to take in life. If you'd like to contact Reverend Clark or Intergenerate, you can do so at info at intergeneratenewyork.com. That's info at I-N-T-E-R-G-E-N-E-R-A-T-E-N-Y dot org or P-C-L-A-R-K-E at U-U-M-A dot org. That last article brings us right into the topic for today. In both factory farms and these so-called humane, cage-free, free-range, backyard farms, animals are all killed when they're just babies. Chickens raised for eggs. Despite the common belief that drinking milk or eating eggs does not kill animals, commercially raised dairy cows and egg-laying chickens, whether factory farm or free-range, are slaughtered when their productivity declines. The same factory farm methods that are used to produce most meats are also used to produce most milk and eggs, only worse. On U.S. farms, an average of five to six egg-laying hens spend their entire lives in a battery cage with a floor area the size of a file drawer. These chickens live on wire floors that deform their feet in cages so tiny they cannot stretch their wings and are covered with excrement from cages above them. Lameness, Bone disease and obsessive pecking are common. Pecking is curbed by searing the beaks off the young chicks with a hot blade. Although chickens can live up to 15 years, they are usually slaughtered when the egg production rates decline after about two years. A few quick facts. Standard egg industry practice, newborn male chicks at the hen hatcheries are gassed, suffocated, or thrown into a wood chipper. Discarded male chicks are ground up into food that is fed to the hens so the hens may actually be eating their brothers. At the end of their economically productive life, in other words, if they're not laying enough eggs, hens are killed. They're hung in shackles, knifed in the throat, and dunked in scalding hot water to loosen their feathers. Due to insufficient stunning, many are paralyzed, yet alive and conscious throughout the entire slaughter process, finally dying from a combination of drowning and bleeding. Eggs come out of the same hole through which hens defecate. Abundant undercover video footage shows bored or frustrated poultry slaughterhouse workers pulling the heads and wings off live birds, slamming them against the wall, and crushing them to death with their boots. Baking without eggs is a cinch. Eggs are generally used as a binder, and there are plenty of other foods, including special egg replacer products, that work as well or even better. Chickens for meat. In the U.S. each year, 9 billion broiler chickens, both male and female, are raised and killed for food. Worldwide, over 50 billion chickens are slaughtered every year. As a result of genetic manipulation for overgrown breast and thigh meat, 
These birds suffer miserably from painful lameness causing them to crouch and hobble in pain, from gastrointestinal and blood diseases, and chronic respiratory infections. In natural surroundings, chickens are very inquisitive animals. They enjoy dust bathing, making nests, roosting in trees, and searching for food. Like us, chickens form friendships and strong family ties. They love their young and mourn the loss of loved ones. They can recognize more than a hundred other chickens and remember them, and they have more than 30 types of vocalizations. In the brutally unnatural surroundings of a factory farm, broiler chickens live their entire 45 days of life in semi-darkness on manure-soaked wood shavings, unchanged through several flocks of 30,000 or more birds in a single shed. Excretory ammonia fumes often become so strong that the birds develop a blinding eye disease called ammonia burn. So painful is this disease that afflicted birds rub their hurting eyes with the wings and let out cries of pain. Broiler chickens are crowded by the thousands into filthy, closed sheds contaminated with poisonous salmonella and campylobacter bacteria. In addition to sickening these birds, this bacteria often remains in cooked flesh, a common cause of food poisoning. Those birds who survive the disease and cramped, filthy conditions of the factory farm are transported to the slaughterhouse in crates on trucks that leave them fully exposed to extreme weather conditions. Many die on the way. At the slaughterhouse, fully conscious birds are shackled by their ankles upside down to a moving conveyor belt. The birds are then given intensely painful electric shocks, which are intended to immobilize them to make it easier to slit their throats. The shocks are frequently not powered high enough to render them unconscious. After being shocked, the bird's throats are slashed, usually by a mechanical blade, and blood begins rushing out of their bodies. According to the USDA statistics, millions of birds every year have their bodies submerged in scalding hot water, about 143 degrees Fahrenheit, while they are still fully conscious. According to Virgil Butler, a former slaughterhouse worker, when this happens, the chickens flop, scream, kick, and their eyeballs pop out of their heads. Then they often come out the other end with broken bones and disfigured and missing body parts because they've struggled so much in the tank. This happens to sensitive birds who love their babies and mourn the loss of their loved ones. Pigs. Modern breeding sows are treated like piglet-making machines. Living a continuous cycle of impregnation and birth, each sow has more than 20 piglets per year. After being impregnated, the sows are confined in gestation crates, small metal pens just two feet wide that prevent sows from turning around or even lying down comfortably. At the end of their four-month pregnancies, they are transferred to similarly cramped farrowing crates to give birth. With barely enough room to stand up and lie down and no straw or other type of bedding to speak of, many suffer from sores on their shoulders and knees. Numerous research studies conducted over the last 25 years have pointed to physical and psychological maladies experienced by sows in confinement. The unnatural flooring and lack of exercise causes obesity and crippling leg disorders while the deprived environment produces neurotic coping behaviors such as repetitive bar biting. After the sows give birth and nurse their young for two to three weeks, the piglets are taken away to be fattened and the sows are re-impregnated. When the sow is no longer deemed a productive breeder, she is sent to slaughter.
When the piglets are able to eat solid food, they are transferred to a large, crowded pen. Here they are fed for six months until they are slaughtered. Dairy Cows As with any mammal, cows produce milk only when pregnant and stop after their calves have been weaned. Dairy cows are forced to give birth to one calf per year. This is incredibly taxing on their body, as a cow's gestation period is nine months, same as a human's. Dairy cows are artificially re-impregnated while they are still lactating from their previous birthing, so their bodies are still producing milk during seven months of the nine-month gestation period. When a dairy cow gives birth, the calf is immediately taken away. Female calves become dairy cows themselves, subject to the same fate as their mothers. Male calves are sold to veal farms where they're tethered to a tiny stall, unable to move, deprived of food, and within a few months slaughtered for meat. Having their calves taken away at birth is maybe the most tortured part of a dairy cow's life. Cows are extremely gentle and affectionate animals, forming strong bonds with one another, particularly between mother and child. As Michael Clapper, MD, recalls, the very saddest sound in all my memory was burned into my awareness at age five on my uncle's dairy farm in Wisconsin. A cow had just given birth at a, to a beautiful male calf. On the second day after birth, my uncle took the calf from the mother and placed him in a veal pen in the barn, only 10 yards away, in plain view of his mother. The mother cow could see her son, smell him, hear him, but could not touch him, could not comfort him, could not nurse him. The heart-trending bellows that poured forth, minute after minute, hour after hour, for five long days, were excruciating to listen to. They are the most poignant and painful auditory memories I carry in my brain. Dairy cows today are forced to produce 100 pounds of milk a day, 10 times more than they would produce naturally, which means their bodies are under constant stress and they suffer all kinds of health problems. So what diseases are in milk, anyway? Well, for example, about a half of the country's dairy cows suffer from mastitis, a bacterial infection of the udders. Growth hormones and unnatural milking schedules cause dairy cows' udders to become painful and so heavy that they sometimes drag on the ground, resulting in frequent infections and overuse of antibiotics. In a healthy environment, cows can live to be 25. Today, they're sold to slaughter in three or four years because their bodies cannot continue to produce that much milk. In fact, the abuse wrecked on the bodies of dairy cows is so intense that the dairy industry is a major source of downed animals, animals too sick or injured to walk or even stand. Recent investigations have videotaped slaughterhouse workers beating, dragging, and pushing downed dairy cows with bulldozers to move them to slaughter. Dairy products are a health hazard. They contain no fiber or complex carbohydrates and are laden with saturated fat and cholesterol. They are contaminated with cow's blood and pus and are frequently contaminated with pesticides, hormones, and antibiotics. Dairy products are linked to allergies, constipation, obesity, heart disease, cancer, and other diseases. The late Benjamin Spock, America's leading authority on child care, spoke out against feeding cow's milk to children, saying it can cause anemia, allergies, and insulin-dependent diabetes, and in the long term, will set kids up for obesity and heart disease, America's number one cause of death.
As for osteoporosis, dairy products may actually cause it, not prevent it. The high protein content of dairy leaches calcium from the body. Population studies, backed up by a groundbreaking Harvard study of more than 75,000 nurses, suggest that drinking milk can actually cause osteoporosis. For more information on health issues caused by dairy, go to the Physicians Committee for Responsible Medicine at www.pcrm.org. The Death of the Myth of the Happy Cow These sensitive, gentle, and naturally devoted mothers have their newborns ripped away from them at birth over and over. Their bodies are genetically manipulated, artificially inseminated to keep them producing huge, unnatural amounts of milk which leaves them diseased and depleted. So sick that they cannot stand or walk, these dairy cows are deposited at slaughterhouses where they are pushed or bulldozed or dragged into slaughter. And so ends the life of the dairy industry's happy cow. Cows for meat. Cows are gentle giants, large in size but sweet in nature. They are curious, clever animals that have been known to go to amazing lengths to escape from slaughterhouses. They are very social, preferring to spend their time together, and they form complex relationships, very much like dogs form packs. Like all animals, cows form strong maternal bonds with their children, and on dairy farms and cattle ranches, mother cows can be heard crying out for their calves for days after they're separated. Cattle raised for beef are subjected to numerous painful procedures during their lives, such as repeated infliction of third-degree burns to their skin, otherwise known as branding, having their testicles ripped out and their horns cut off. To minimize costs, all of these practices are routinely conducted without any painkillers. The image of cattle grazing contently on grass pastures is another myth. The majority of cattle's lives are spent on overcrowded feedlots, standing ankle-deep in their own waste, eating a diet that makes them sick. Typical cattle feed isn't grass. It includes corn, which the animal can't properly digest, and fillers such as sawdust or chicken manure. This unnatural diet can lead to an array of health problems such as bloat, acidosis, otherwise known as bovine heartburn, diarrhea, ulcers, liver disease, and a general weakening of the immune system. Cattle are usually born in one state, fattened in another, and slaughtered in yet another. During transport to feedlots, auctions, and slaughterhouses, cattle endure extreme cruelty. Food is not given to the animals the day before or during transport since it will not be converted into profitable flesh. Many cattle die from pneumonia, dehydration, heat exhaustion, or freezing to the sides of the transport vehicles during the long trips through all weather extremes. When the surviving cattle arrive at the slaughterhouse, they are supposed to be stunned first so that they are insensible to pain, according to federal law. Industry practice is to shoot the cow in the head with a pistol that thrusts a metal rod through the skull into the brain. Somehow, the law is rarely enforced and routinely violated since shooting a struggling animal is difficult and production lines move at an alarmingly fast speed. As a result, some animals go through the slaughter process kicking and screaming as they are skinned and dismembered while fully conscious. Veal, a byproduct of the cruel dairy industry. Cows produce milk for the same reason humans, 
and other mammals do, to nourish their young. But the millions of cows who live on U.S. dairy farms are forced into vicious cycles of continuous pregnancy so that they will produce milk for human consumption. Their female calves are slaughtered immediately or used to replace their mothers in the dairy herd, and many calves that are male suffer a fate that is completely different but no less cruel, one of confinement, darkness, malnutrition, and slaughter. Without human intervention, calves suckle from their mothers for nearly a year. One veterinary study revealed that during natural weaning, there is never complete and abrupt abandonment of the calf by the cow. In fact, the cow and calf will remain a lifelong relationship of social contact and companionship. Another study found that a cow and her calf can develop a strong maternal bond in as little as five minutes. But calves born on dairy farms are taken from their mothers the day they are born and fed milk replacers, including cattle blood, so that humans can have their milk instead. This forced separation causes cows and calves great stress, and cows have been known to escape enclosures and travel for miles to reunite, reunite with their young. Veal calves are forced to spend their short lives in individual crates that are no more than 30 inches wide and 72 inches long. These crates are designed to prohibit exercise and normal muscle growth in order to produce tender gourmet veal. The calves are fed a milk substitute that is purposely low in iron so that they will become anemic and their flesh will stay pale. Because of these extremely unhealthy living conditions, calves raised for veal are susceptible to a long list of diseases, including chronic pneumonia and diarrhea. A study published in the Journal of Animal Science found that calves who were kept in smaller housing units had difficulty keeping themselves clean and had trouble extending their front legs and changing from a lying to a standing position, which resulted in joint swelling. It was also determined that stereotypical stress behaviors such as tongue rolling and sham chewing, the act of chewing without food in the mouth, increased when smaller pens were used and as calves got older. After enduring 12 to 23 weeks in these conditions, these young animals, many of whom can barely walk because of sickness or muscle atrophy, are crowded into metal trucks for transport to the slaughterhouse. On these trucks, they are trampled and suffer from temperature extremes and lack of food, water, and veterinary care. How can you help veal calves? Well, don't eat veal. And just as importantly, don't consume dairy products. Veal calves are a co-product of the dairy industry. Try soy milk, almond milk, coconut milk, rice milk. They all provide calcium, vitamins, iron, zinc, and protein, but contain no cholesterol and no cruelty. They're perfect for cereal, coffee, soups, as well as in baked goods and other recipes. Now I'd like to share some information from the website Compassion Overkilling. As concern grows over the way the meat, egg, and dairy industries treat the animals we eat, so does the number of animal products labeled free range. What does this mean? Do free-range chickens, pigs, turkeys, and cows receive humane treatment? Are they slaughtered in less violent ways? While free-range practices may be less inhumane than the horrors animals are forced to endure on conventional factory farms, they are still very far from cruelty-free.
free-range eggs. There is no inspection system for companies that label their eggs free-range. The popular myth that free-range egg-laying hens enjoy fresh grass, bask in the sunlight, scratch the earth, sit on their nests, and engage in other natural behaviors is often just that, a myth. In many commercial free-range egg farms, hens are crowded into windowless sheds with little more than a single narrow exit leading to an enclosure, too small to accommodate all of the birds at once. Both battery cage and free-range egg hatcheries kill all male chicks shortly after birth. Since male chicks cannot lay eggs and are different breeds than those chickens raised for meat, they are of no use to the egg industry. Standard killing methods, even among free-range producers, include grinding male chicks alive or throwing them into trash bags and leaving them to suffocate. Whether kept in sheds or cages, laying hens, who can naturally live more than 10 years, are considered spent when they are just one or two years old and their productivity wanes. Rather than being retired, free-range hens are slaughtered to make room for another shed of birds. With no federal regulations overseeing the use of animal welfare claims on egg cartons, misleading or exaggerated claims are rampant. Consumers may be deceived by phrases such as animal-friendly or naturally raised, which can be found on cartons of eggs from caged hens. Free-range broiler chickens. Birds raised for meat may be considered free-range if they have the U.S. Department of Agriculture certified access to the outdoors. No other criteria. Environmental quality, the size of the outdoor area, the number of birds confined in a single shed, or the indoor or outdoor space allotted per animal are considered in applying this label. As with the free-range laying hens, Many free-range broilers live in a facility with only one small opening at the end of a large shed, permitting only a few birds to go outside at any given time. Even Richard Lobb, spokesperson for the National Chicken Council, admits, even in a free-range type of style of production, you're basically going to find most of them inside the grow-out facility. Whether labeled free-range or not, if the birds used by agribusiness are the standard broiler chicken of today, Buying these products involves an enormous amount of animal suffering. And, as with factory farm birds raised for their meat, free-range chickens and turkeys may undergo the same grueling and sometimes fatal transport to slaughterhouses when reaching market weight. Workers gather these birds up to four at a time, carrying them upside down by their legs before throwing them into crates on multi-tiered trucks without protection from the heat or cold and without access to food or water. Free-range birds end up at the same slaughterhouses as the factory farmed birds, where they are hung upside down, have their throats slit, and bleed to death, often while still fully conscious. Free-range cows, sheep, and pigs. According to the U.S. Department of Agriculture, free-range beef, pork, and other non-poultry products are loosely defined as coming from animals who ate grass and lived on a range. No other criteria, such as the size of the range or the amount of space given to each animal, are required before beef, lamb, and pork can be called free-range.
free range and free roaming facilities are rarely inspected or verified to be in compliance with these two criteria the usda relies upon producer testimonials to support the accuracy of these claims even when free-range cows sheeps and pigs are allowed to live outdoors they are still subjected to excruciating mutilations without painkiller or analgesic, such as castration, branding, dehorning, tail docking, and tooth grinding. Once they are fattened to market weight, they are trucked to slaughterhouses. They are denied food, water, adequate protection from extreme temperatures once inside the vehicles, and many die during the trip. These cows, sheeps, pigs, are still slaughtered in the same violent ways as factory farmed animals. They are pushed through narrow chutes, hung upside down on conveyor belts, and have their throats slit. Some are dismembered while still fully conscious. Is a truly free-range world possible? The U.S. animal agribusiness industry currently confines and slaughters more than 10 billion land animals each year the overwhelming majority of whom live intensively confined on factory farms where they cannot even turn around or fully stretch their limbs. Would it be possible to raise 10 billion animals without intensive confinement? Probably not. If intensive confinement operations were banned, it's highly unlikely producers could supply an entire nation of 300 million meat egg and dairy consumers with enough animal products to sustain the typical American diet. So, without even considering the ethical problems inherent in raising and slaughtering animals for food, from a practical perspective, completely humane farming and slaughtering methods aren't possible. The bottom line. Living in cramped conditions is better than living in even more cramped conditions. Laying hens who have 67 square inches of space per bird likely suffer less than those who have only 50. And giving even 10 out of 10,000 turkeys access to sunlight and outdoors is better than denying all of them such basic needs. But clearly, commercial free-range farming is not the answer to ending animal abuse. Doing the right thing. The animals killed so that we can have chicken breasts, milk, and omelets feel pain and experience joy just like the dogs and cats we pamper. And like dogs and cats, they want to live free from torture and suffering. By choosing vegan foods, we can improve their lives and our own. Indeed, eating meat, eggs, and dairy products is not necessary for our survival. And in fact, even the country's leading nutritional organization, the American Dietetic Association, states, that appropriate planned vegetarian and vegan diets are healthful, nutritionally adequate, and provide health benefits in the prevention and treatment of certain diseases. Since we have no need for meat, eggs, and dairy products, why support animal cruelty by purchasing those products? Choosing a vegan lifestyle rather than looking for less inhumane animal products is the most ethical decision to make. When you go vegan, you feel great knowing you're eating as moral a diet as possible, that you're no longer making excuses or going into denial about unnecessarily contributing to the suffering and killing of animals, that you're no longer paying others to breed animals, manipulate their bodies, and kill them as soon as economically profitable. For those of you listening who are not vegan, I urge you to think long and hard about what you're contributing to, 
and consider going vegan for your health and the lives of the animals. Every day we have many opportunities to do what's right by the animals that share this world with us. Let's make the right decisions for their sake and ours. Please check out my blog at avoiceforanimals.blogspot.com and subscribe to my podcast. If you'd like to email me, you can do so at avoiceforanimals at aol.com. Thanks for listening. Some information in this episode was provided by Woodstock Farm Animal Sanctuary. You can visit them at woodstocksanctuary.org and Compassion Over Killings website at cok.net. I love animals, that is true. And they deserve a life as good as you. Treat them kind and treat them great. And please don't put them on my dinner plate. I love animals, that is true. And they deserve a life as good.